HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. The great state of Wisconsin is home to the only master cheesemaking program outside of Switzerland. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're ringing in the start of our fifth season with dispatches from Portland, Oregon's biggest food festival, Feast Portland. We're bringing you words of wisdom on launching a food business from food blogs. Most acquaintances from high school have now tried to start a food or fashion blog in some sense and quit very quickly afterwards. To ice cream shops. Every city you go to, the salt and straw is completely different than any other city. We'll bring you insights and anecdotes about the business of the business. We were like, cool, we're going to do this. We're going to try to raise $75,000 and we'll see what happens. And it was like the most gut-wrenching, miserable month. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 2nd, 2019. This is the 228th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top New Zealand chef, restaurateur, TV personality, and cookbook author, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to draw inspiration from your surroundings. Yes, take it all in and observe, as the world is a magical place full of wonders. And what makes life even more beautiful is that we all see things a bit differently and can be moved by our own unique experiences. From nature to art to science, technology, and food, inspiration is everywhere. So let's keep our eyes and ears open to see, feel, and connect, and let life naturally enlighten. That's my tip today. Now, this is going to be a fabulous episode. I'm so excited to have my guest here. It is Josh Emmett. He is a critically acclaimed chef and restaurateur from New Zealand, 
who is the co-founder of GoTo Collection, which includes Rata, Madame Wu, and Hawker and Roll. And he has a new cookbook, The Recipe, Classic Dishes for the Home Cook from the World's Best Chefs. Josh worked with Gordon Ramsay for over 10 years. During his time at restaurant Gordon Ramsay, it was awarded three Michelin stars, making it the only three-star restaurant in London. He went on to help open Claridge's, reopen the Savoy, and in 2006, he moved to New York City to oversee Gordon Ramsay at the London New York City, which was awarded two Michelin stars. In 2012, he went back to New Zealand and he opened Rada, and he has since opened six restaurants across New Zealand, and he's appeared on TV, uh, most known, I think, in New Zealand for being a judge on MasterChef New Zealand. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you because, you know, well, first of all, there's so many reasons. You're, you're an amazing chef and restaurateur, and I want to hear your story, but we have the connection of meeting you when you were in New York City, and then me visiting Rada back six years ago, and celebrating my birthday there, and we have this connection, and you live on the other side of the world. <laughs> totally, yeah. We, I mean, I remember um, vividly when we first met, it was uh, back in 2006 when I just moved to New York from London. And it was a, um, you know, back then that was a massive change for me. It was a, bit, it was a big life change to come out here, and so I was, I was, I was young and very well, younger and very excited uh, about, um, you know, being in New York. Yes. Well, I, I, I want to go and jump into go back to your your background as a child and what inspired you to become a chef because you grew up, from what I understand, in New Zealand on a farm, right? Totally. So how did that influence your career and decision to, to work in kitchens? Well, there's a few things. There's, uh, there's my sort of fetish for baking and sweets growing up. So I, I did a huge amount of baking uh, on the farm. We, we sort of shopped at supermarkets once a week. Uh, and within that, you, you know, you weren't, we weren't allowed biscuits or you know, fizzy drinks or anything like that. But we had the ingredients in the pantry to make as many cakes as you liked. Um, or, or baked as many cakes as you like. So, and, and when you baked a cake, you owned the cake. Uh, so <laughs> I used to do a hell of a lot of baking and a hell of a lot of eating. And then on the farm growing up, I, um, I did a lot of fishing. I did a lot of shooting. Um, you know, we're constantly shooting rabbits and duck shooting and uh, fishing for eels and then uh, out in the sea, fishing in the sea as well. So um, it's, it's sort of no surprise that when I moved to London and I began, you know, my career cooking and, and as a chef that I, I, I barely ever took ingredients like eel, duck, um, you know, uh, game birds, uh, all those sorts of rabbits. I, I always have those on my menus. Um, and I think it's a result of, you know, growing up with those sorts of ingredients and falling in love, in love with them from a very young age. Right. So how did you get introduced to... Gordon Ramsay. Uh, did you just I, apply for a job? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Did I just apply for a job? Yeah, I did. I, um, I, I, where had I been? I'd been, uh, I'd been a couple of years in the UK, and then I came back. Uh, I went. I lost my visa, and I went back to Australia and worked really hard for three years in Australia. I worked ridiculous hours uh, and worked for a guy called Donovan Cook, who and his wife Philippa, and they were amazing chefs and great restaurant in Melbourne at that time. 
And I wanted to get back to the UK. So I got back to the UK uh, and um, Donovan sort of knew Gordon and, and it was always a bit like that. We always you know, knew people from within the industry and I literally walked in and asked for a job. And that's about all I asked for. I asked for a job. I didn't ask about money or you know, hours or, or anything, you know, I was just hungry for a job in that kitchen. And it was a funny old time, actually, because, uh, you know, he had just been on that uh, on a show called um, Britain's Worst Bosses. And, you know, it was supposedly one of the worst places to work in the UK. And uh, I loved every <laughs> moment of it. <laughs> well, it's, you're, I mean, you have a big smile on your face saying this, but yeah, and he's known in the US for his show in Hell's Kitchen and just mm. his personality... Uh, from what I know on TV or his TV personality is very different than what I know about your personality. Um, I don't know if, you know, I guess, I mean, you worked with him for a long time. You, you know, so what was, what was that experience like? And did you have full reign? Like when you moved, when you were here in New York with the London, was that, I don't know, did you have to report to him on things or was it more left to your decision making on the menu? Well, yeah, all of that. I mean, I was uh, back then, uh, uh, you know, that was 2000 when I first started with him. And I was, you know, 26 and, and extremely driven and extremely ambitious. And, and food, it still is. Food is everything to me. Restaurants are everything to me. I love my career and always have. And, um, you know, I think one thing that Gordon always gave me was, a, a you know, an amazing platform on which to perform. And, you know, he, he sort of said that, you know, I'll, I'll set you up and, you know, put you in a place and you've just got to put the hard work in and, and go and do it, you know. And he actually gave you autonomy. And, 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 and I always wanted to treat those restaurants, you know, um, even though they were Gordon's like my own. Mm -hmm. I, I took complete ownership of, the, of them. And that's what I think that's one thing I probably did particularly well, you know. I, I just owned it I went in there and I, I treated it like it was my little baby and away I went and um, you know I suppose that was the case when I came out to New, New York you know Gordon can't be anywhere like you know he had, he had up to oh, you know um, 15, 16, 17 restaurants at the time I mean you can't be everywhere can you and you rely on um, great right. staff to uh, do that and I was a very loyal um, subject and you know I was with him uh, 11 years and, and, and had great experiences. Yeah so what prompted you then to move back to New Zealand and start on your own? Well I moved to Australia actually New York was it was good back then but we were dealing with unions and lots of issues and and we, I was you know but right. we had two Michelin stars and we had it was an it was an amazing experience but I think we had had our first child uh, Helen and I um, and we met in New York and we decided to go um, and open Gordon's project in Australia and and then we were going to go back to the UK but there's, you know there's a, there's a whole long story around this period you know my dad randomly got cancer at that period um and was, you know, uh, only given a year to live. We had a second child, um, you know, job, the career wasn't really progressing in the areas that I wanted it to. So we sort of actually ended up moving back to New Zealand and, and, and finishing up with Gordon uh, right at the time that my 
dad only had a couple of months to live, mm. which was a real blessing because I got to spend the last few months with him. Uh, and then we then we went back to the UK for 18 months. And while we were in the UK, I started doing MasterChef in New Zealand, uh, and I also opened Rata in New Zealand. So for the first year of Rata, I was commuting between uh, between London and uh, Queenstown, and uh, we had two young kids. Oh, wow. um, you know, it was, it was, those were interesting times, but um, Rata, you know, was an amazing project and something that I always wanted to do. And, and most people expected me to go back to New Zealand and, um, you know, uh, open something in Auckland or, uh, and I really, I, I was sort of pursuing both. I was pursuing both ideas in London and in, in New Zealand. Um, but Queenstown was, a, was a, a little place you've been there that really sort of stole my heart, I guess. Uh, and um, the question, how did I end up back in New Zealand? <laughs> I don't know. It just happened. It happened. You know, it, I was probably least likely to end up of my, you know, siblings to end up back in New Zealand. And, and I got to a point where I was doing more work in New Zealand and it just made complete sense to be there. And I was fed up with travelling between London and New Zealand. Yeah, and Queenstown... <laughs> has a place in my heart too. I loved being there. And and I also went to Auckland, which which is fabulous city as well. I mean, I picked one in the north and one in the south with mm. my limited time. And um, I think at the time when you were there, you were doing the commute back and forth to Auckland, which I didn't know you had done that with London previously. So I guess that was easier. Totally. <laughs> but... Um, since then, you went. You've now gone on to open these Malaysian restaurant concepts. So, what inspired that and doing that sort of cuisine? Yeah, well, we um, a couple of things. Uh, yeah, I've always lived in Auckland, so I've been travelling to and from Queenstown twice a month for seven years. You're good seven miles. and counting and <laughs> counting. It's only a two-hour flight, so it's not too bad. Uh, the Malaysian concept. I've always had a, a love for Malaysian food, uh, and uh, we. I had a girl who was working uh, for me in Australia, a Malaysian girl, and she she came down and, and started working for us at Rata in Queenstown. Uh, and we and uh, my business partner and I were looking for a, sort of a second concept um, after Rata, and um, we uh, you know we started pursuing the Malaysian uh, idea, and then a site sort of got presented to us that just completely fit with um, the idea of doing a, a Malaysian restaurant, and we had already been doing menu testers and various other things like that, so. Um, away we went. We sort of opened it within six weeks, and um, we always wanted uh, Madame Wu, uh, which is called to uh, the idea was to have more than one. Uh, so it was very much designed from a concept point of view that it was casual and, and quick and very traditional Malaysian food, but in a really upmarket environment, you know, a funky environment, noisy and bustling. And, and it, it, the whole thing just clicked. Uh, it went crazy right from the start. Um, so, you know, it was just one of those things that everything aligned and it happened and, and away we went and we opened three more after that and then continued on with uh, Hawker and Roll, which is a... When I opened Madame Wu, I, I, I created a dish called the Hawker Roll, 
which is basically a way of eating Malaysian food. It's roti chennai with either beef rendang or perchik chicken or, or various other things inside the uh, inside the roti. Uh, and then, you know, pickles and cucumber and coriander and sambal and, and all this sort of thing. You're it, making me very hungry. Oh, my God. You, <laughs> they are they're amazing things. So that sort of spurned the concept of uh, hawker and roll, uh, which we've got four of those in New Zealand as well. So are you looking to develop more of these and are you only if so are you only looking to do these New Zealand maybe Australia or on down under or are you thinking maybe you'd expand beyond um, that region yeah well my business partner and I had we've traveled a lot and, and we went up to you know the UK and we went to San Francisco and went to Brisbane and we you know went to Sydney and Melbourne and and all over the place and and constantly sort of looking um, but you know, right now I think we're focused on New Zealand um, because, uh, you know, the flying's not that easy. It's, you, you, <laughs> it's far. Sort of the romantic idea of opening restaurants all over, over the world, I'd, you know, in, in theory I'd love to do it. Um, but I've spent far too much of my life, I think, personally flying all over the world, um, you know, from New Zealand. You, you have to fly, you know, 10 hours to get up right. to LA and, and you know. 20, 26, 28 hours to get to London and you know, everywhere is a long way away So, uh, and it would mean a lifestyle change I think I would be happy to possibly leave New Zealand and go and do that but that would be the, the decision I would have to make uh, you know, if right. I did want to go outside of New Zealand so we're very much focused in New Zealand okay so I have to get back but so far I know but I have to get back and uh, before we take a break what about all this these TV appearances you do and being a judge, are you still, are you, are you doing shows right now? Are you? Yeah, uh, MasterChef New Zealand's uh, finished for now. Uh, you know, we finished, it was, I did five seasons, uh, five incredible seasons of it, actually. I, I absolutely loved it. And, and uh, it was, it, it, first thing is it's extremely hard work for those, we filmed for generally three months of the year. Uh, and, you know, it was 17, 18 episodes. And it just meant that, you know, you do a a, a four day work week on top of your already right. a five day work week, and you work seven days a week for you know three months, and it's it's extremely tough, but hugely enjoyable, and I wouldn't change anything. And I, you know, I really enjoy um, presenting on TV. I think it's something that was slightly out of my comfort zone, and something that I wanted. Like anything, you you, you sort of just want to be good at it. You know, you want to do well, right? And yeah. uh, so it's something that I had to work at quite hard. Um, and probably more than anything is work work to stay relaxed because staying relaxed in that environment isn't always that easy, right? right. And, and generally when you're relaxed, you're at your best. So, Right. Well, I, I would think maybe being a judge versus being someone who's comp- – Competing would be a little more relaxing, but I don't know. It's still TV. <laughs> no, you're right. You, no, you're right. It, it is far more relaxing, and, and and I'm forgetting the most important part. When the most important part was really the the people we met met along mm-hmm. the way, and the food we ate. You know, just glorious. Uh, you know. You, you can see my face light up when I start talking about food in any respect, right? It's, you know, and, and, and some of the dishes we ate and, and were introduced to on that show are just mind-blowing from all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life, you know, non-professional yeah. cooks. So much fun. So much fun. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, let's take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and we'll, we're going to talk with Josh about his new book that's out. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. 
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that 90% of Wisconsin's milk is made into cheese? And this is not just any milk. When Swiss, German, and Italian cheesemakers first settled into Wisconsin, they chose their new home because of the special terroir of the region. Its soil and water are nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin produces 25% of all cheeses made in the U.S., and Wisconsin cheeses have won more awards than any other state or country in the world. How did they do it? Wisconsin cheesemakers combined their heritage and tradition with nonstop innovation. They were the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. Wisconsin is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of these impeccably high standards mean Wisconsin produces more than 48% of the nation's specialty cheese. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Josh Emmett. He's a New Zealand chef and the co-founder of GoTo Collection, which includes Rata, Madame Wu, and Hawk and Roll. And he has a new book out called The Recipe, a modern-day food Bible. It's awesome, by the way, this this food Bible that we have here. So let's Thank talk you. about this. This And it's it's quite a book. I mean, it's... You have over 300 recipes in this? Yeah, I do. Thank you. So, so how did you come up with the idea for it and, and go about it's uh, the collection of recipes and chefs that are featured? Yeah, we, uh, I've written a couple of, this is my third book. Uh, and, uh, for this book, I was wanting to do something different and I was really wanting to do something that I could, um, you know, do on an international platform, I, I guess. And, uh, we came up the idea of uh, the, the ridiculous idea, I think, of doing a collaborative book where we, you know, worked with, uh, you know, we took the 50, 50, uh, last 50 years and the, and the 300 greatest classic recipes and, and put them all in, in one book. Um, and the recipes that you must cook once in your lifetime, uh, if you're a foodie or if you love food, uh, and wanted to put them all inside uh, one sort of food Bible. And it was, and, and have the contri- contributions from uh, chefs around the world. And, and we sort of came up with a list of recipes, which was well over 300, three or 400 of, of what we considered really great classic recipes, uh, and then sort of paired them with chefs and, and then went about this um, massive task of going out to the chefs and asking if they would love to contribute to the book and... and, and have their recipe and and generally they are you know it's in their area of expertise so it is about having the bible and the best possible recipe of that particular dish uh, in this book how long did you work on the this project because i know working with chefs or getting recipes from chefs can be you know challenging (laughs) a long process (laughs) a process and then recipe testing wise did you did you do it on your own or did you collaborate with the chef on it? I mean, that had to have been a challenging project working with so many different people. 
It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an incredible, um, I have to say it, it was an incredibly tough process, everything. There was nothing easy about this book. And I think <laughs> going into it, it's one of those projects, if you really knew how hard it was going to be, you would just be like, oh no, that's, that's too hard, we're not going to do that. Um, but it was, it's been so rewarding as well. So we, we, we went out to the chefs, um, the process is that they, you know, send us a recipe, um, with or without a picture, often we ask for a picture uh, as reference, and then I shot them in my home. Uh, shot and tested them in my home and, uh, you know, then send them back for approval. Uh, so getting the recipes, was, it, was it, getting the chefs on board was the first part of the process and that was months, you know, six, eight, nine, ten months, almost a year of, you know, asking chefs and getting slowly getting the recipes through. And that was an emotional roller coaster, right? That was my first part of my project. And, uh, you know, we got, I, I would... Often you, you live on different time zones in New Zealand, so you wake up in the morning and you get a <laughs> yes from someone and you'll be like, oh my God, that, I, I can't believe they said yes. Yeah. Uh, because the list we went out with was, you know, um, sort of the who's who in the culinary world. There's some incredible people that I have so much respect, or I've got so much respect for chefs in general anyway, um, and I get on with almost everyone. So, um, you know, but there's, there's, there's people in there, I'm so humbled to have them um, in the book. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the days when we didn't get some people in the book, you know, it's just one of those things. You're going out and asking, you're putting yourself on the line a little bit. Um, then the process actually of turning around and cooking their recipes. And that's sort of when I woke up one morning and went, oh, God, you know, what have I done? This, this book can't just be uh, a, a straightforward. It can't be good. It has to be exceptional. You know, um, I have to cook these recipes and photograph these recipes and send them back to approval. And, and I was under, to be honest, I was under a, a ridiculous amount of pressure. I put myself under a lot of pressure for a, for a long year of um, shooting these recipes. Well, you, you mastered it. I mean, the book is beautiful. You also have uh, gorgeous photos with it. And, I mean, some of the, some of the people, I jotted down some of the names. You have Daniel Ballou, Daniel Hume. Uh, I saw you had Nobu, you had the black cod miso in there, and I was thinking, I love that dish. I should try to cook it. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. I mean, when, da when yeah, when uh, when Nobu says yes, you know, <laughs> and, and he's going to come in your book, and, and your friends of mine, you know, whether it's Marcus Glocker or, you know, Ron Paprocki, who cooks in New York here, yeah. or uh, David Chang, or, you know, so many people um, who um, agreed to participate. Daniel Harm early on said, you know, he was, literally, he was too busy. And we, we, we funnily enough, we just sat on that for a year. And then we went back to him and said, would you reconsider? Uh, and, he yeah. said, and he said yes. So, you know, extremely ecstatic um, about that. Uh, but, yeah, it's a tough process going through that end. But it's hugely enjoyable. I learned so much. Um, oh, I'm sure. Because, well, having to be the one that tested all those recipes, you're your, I don't know, your go-to dishes now, you have, you have 300 plus. <laughs> yeah. If and, not and all the, everything else you've been cooking your entire career. No, and there's a few things about the book that they, they have to be, the recipes had to be really simple, true classics and, mm -hmm. and really simple and, and, and accessible for the home cook. Now there's, there is some more aspirational dishes in there, but a lot of them are very, very simple uh, dishes and ideas, everything from mashed potato to scrambled eggs to beef wellington to ramen to, you know, all those sorts of things. And then what we did with the book and what Kieran is, Kieran Scott, who shot the book, is such a genius at. He, we shot a few sort of test um, 
you know, images, and, and, and we've got 150 personalities, and we all know that chefs' personalities are strong at the, um, at the best of times, you know. Uh, so we sort of had to take all the personality out of the book. So we shot it all on a white or black background and all on a white or black plate. So it completely yeah. restricted and, and, and took every, you know, it's, it's, the book is all about the food and the ph- photography is all about the dish. And it sort of shows a complete respect for that. And you can see that that makes it more of a, a Bible and more of a manual than a, um, a book about anything other than the dish, uh, which, yeah. is, which is, I think, the thing that we got so right and, and Karen's you know, such a genius in that respect because he just gets that. You know, he drove a lot of that direction with me. I mean, he, you know, we, we, we've spent a lot of time hanging out as well, so. I'm sure. And actually, from following you on social media, I've you test a lot of recipes in your kitchen or you cook, you know, you're, you show a lot of this behind the scenes of cooking, which I think, and with your kids, I think it's very cool. Yeah, totally. So we, <laughs> uh, you know, the platform that we mostly use is Instagram and, and uh Leading up to the book, uh, we decided that we'd really focus on, uh, you know, social media and Instagram as a way to promote the book. Uh, and we we also are trying to answer that um, age-old question and the question that I get asked constantly, which is like, oh, my God, you must eat like kings at home. And, and, and what do you eat on a nightly basis and who cooks? I literally get asked that the whole time, as do probably most chefs. And the answer is that we struggle like... Everyone, you know, we, we don't know what to cook, you know, from one night to the next and then we're going out and then you go out another night and you miss two nights and, you know, you don't use what's in your fridge and, and, and it's difficult, right? And, and I'm, a, I'm a good cook, right? I'm handy in the kitchen yes. and so is my wife. <laughs> so what we, we sort of are going out and trying to answer that question and help people with that. So we, sh- we shoot literally everything that we eat at home. Um, we just shoot it as we as we cook it, and we post it, and and it seems that it really resonates with people, and people really um, can follow what we're doing simply because we're it's not staged in any way. It's just me cooking at home, um, and and people send in the dishes that they've cooked and replicated, and and it, and that's um, brilliant. It is, I have to say, though, I you know you're just cooking at home, but it still looks very professional to me you know, because your your knife skills, your you know, your 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 bring you're bringing your skill set into your own kitchen. But um, but it's 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 been I I think it's been a smart move on your part and and for promoting this book and just also exposing to people what yeah what it is like to be a chef and have kids and at home you yeah know? <laughs> totally totally it's been a, you know and and we've got a great following of people who who love to watch the recipes and, and, yeah. and cook them which is perfect and we we do cook quite a few out of the book some of my favorite ones out of the book I mean the, we, we did the chicken pot pie which is which is in the book which is from a guy called Bruce Poole who's you know um, I, I met years ago when I was in London he's an amazing chef been at Shea Bruce for for, for so many years and the chicken pot pie just you know people love it right it's a <laughs> comfort it's food. a sensational recipe exactly comfort food awesome let's go to my question for my last guest who i asked ask you something so this is on episode 227 i had on regina veroli she's a journalist and the founder and editor editor-in-chief of Cult Epi, which is a culinary industry platform for people in the industry. 
So uh, let's play back her question for you. Um, I wanted to ask him about sustainability. Um, I know New Zealand has a lot of good policies um, about sustainability um, as far as farming or fishing or not using pesticides. And his restaurant, um, you know, makes a point of trying to be a sustainable restaurant. So I would like to know from him, Josh, what do you think is something that you could export to the U.S. from New Zealand as far as ideas for what restaurants can do to be more sustainable since we are all facing a climate crisis? True. <laughs> True. That's a big question. It is a big question. Uh, you know, there, there is so much uh, we want to do and, and I think try to do through our restaurant. If we, we can just specifically talk about Rata, which is in Queenstown. You know, we cook um, extremely seasonally in Rata um, because, it is, because of proximity. Uh, and, you know, we're very careful with our use of plastics. Uh, you know, straws went years ago, as they probably did in, in, in hopefully most of the US. Uh, you know, plastic straws, that sort of thing. Uh, They're less... starting to go here, but mm. I think we're a little behind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and New Zealand, New Zealand is, well, then New Zealand will be quite advanced in that respect, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very. We try and use as sustainable fisheries as possible. Uh, you know, New Zealand is is small, so it has its own set of problems. I think, um, but you know, freight is difficult in New Zealand. You know, carting things around New Zealand is is, is very costly. So in, in Rata and Queenstown, which is down the bottom of the South Island, you know, we're really focused on using as local as possible from a cost perspective and and from a um, you know, um, business value sense as well. Uh, you know, there's a new thing in New Zealand that we're, I'm starting to use a lot more of, which is uh, beeswax paper. And, you know, um, it's, it's great for wrapping things like cheese, but you can literally wrap um, anything and everything in it. Uh, and, um, you know, instead of use of plastics or anything like that. And then, the, you know, food waste, our food waste goes to, um, you know, local farms for pigs or whatever else. So you separate out your waste and, and you know, that costs a little bit more, but those are business decisions you make um, because those are your values, I guess. Uh, and, yeah, you know, as I say, New Zealand... It's a small country, so certain things are easier, but I still think we've got a hell of a lot of work to do and a lot of thinking and a lot of cost management to get it right. Yeah, well, that's a great answer to a great question. So thank you. We're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we'll have, we'll have my speed round game, and we will talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. Hi, my name is Sam Ben Ruby, and I'm the host of The Great Nation on Heritage Radio Network. With this show, we bring wine to the people. Each week, we bring the best guests in wine on, taste different wines on air, and invite our listeners to taste with us. You'll find our approach to wine decidedly unsnobby. You can find The Great Nation wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Just 
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Josh Emmett. It's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. vanilla. Are you ready? Vanilla. That good. was easy. That was the first one. <laughs> good, good. You got you got the test one. Well, well done. So yeah. I think you're ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? It's a tough one. All-inclusive. Okay. Fine dining or hawker food halls? <laughs> hawker food halls. <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration there, right? Yeah. <laughs> How about testing classic recipes or creating new ones? Testing classic recipes. Ah, interesting. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, Auckland, Queenstown, anywhere else in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, Auckland. Ah, Auckland. Loving Auckland right now. Fabulous. Uh, yeah, I, 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 Auckland. I, I knew nothing about it before I visited, but it is quite, quite an amazing, amazing city. I it's mean, a, it's yeah. a, it's a really nice place, you know. Now, listen, I'm in New York right now, and I, I, I adore New York. You know, why wouldn't you? You know, I adore London as well. But for me right now, I think I'm really enjoying Auckland. Cool. Well, own it. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. That's the game. So for industry news, there was an article yesterday that came out in the New York Times. And it's entitled, Want to Write a Cookbook? Don't Count the Money Just Yet. And this was by Priya Krishna. And I just saw the title and read through the article and I was like, this would be great to write, to talk about with you considering you have a new book out and you've done more than one. So, I mean, this this was a very honest article talking uh, about sort of the reality of writing cookbooks and how a lot of writers uh, don't get offered much pay and um that it's hard you know and, and it's a commitment and so what what was your what's your take on this or, or just in general about writing cookbooks <laughs> writing cookbooks you know from my perspective I, I write cookbooks and I've written three cookbooks because I have a want and need to scratch that itch and uh I have a repertoire of recipes in my head uh, you know, the first two cookbooks I, I, I wrote because the recipes are in my head and it was easy. Uh, the third cookbook with contributing <laughs> chefs with their recipes was a harder process, but it was brilliant. Uh, yeah. You know, and I learned so much and that got me back into reading cookbooks again, which I should do so much more of. Uh, the, the, the money from cookbooks, uh, you know, I don't know. The simple answer to that is do it because you love it, not because you, you're wanting a revenue stream from it. Yeah. Well, and I've always, I've always thought of or known that, you know, you do a book or mostly because of the love or maybe the PR and the marketing that you'll get from it, but it's not going to be 
the money maker for you. But maybe a lot of chefs or, or people want to do a book because it gets gets your name out there more and, and it exposes your recipes and exposes like just gives you gives you marketing. Mm. Uh, but it seems now I mean chefs lots of chefs are just doing books left and right. It's become a very popular popular thing. I think more so now in the past five years than it was was 10, 15 years ago. Totally. Um, yeah. It's sort of it's sort of expected in some ways that if you're a chef and you've got restaurants that you'll do a cookbook. Um, you know, you could do one to, as I say, that you would promote your um, restaurant uh, or um, you know just yourself. But I think you do you do need to do them because of a love of food or because you like to write. Um, and you want to, you know, um, have that down on paper, I suppose. Uh, you know, as a, as a history of your journey through food. I think I, I sometimes see it in that sort of... I'm not romantic about many things, but I definitely yeah. think that it shows a, a journey from me anyway. Yeah, did you work with a, a, a writer, a ghostwriter, or anyone on your books? Or did you do it all? No, the first two I did completely myself. And actually yeah. the third one I did pretty much all myself as well you know writing and we had funny yeah. conversations about that because uh, I was stressed out and doing those things and my wife Helen was she, she, she at one stage was we isn't someone else supposed to be doing that? Why are you doing that? And I said, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm doing it because I think I have to do it. And, and I wrote, you know, pretty much everything. Well, and I actually, I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's a time issue maybe sometimes for 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 chefs or, or not being comfortable as writers. I mean, not, you know, that's another thing now, nowadays chefs, it's like you used to be a chef or a cook and you're in, in the kitchen and mm. you, you cook, you cook food. And now there's so much pressure or responsibility in a sense to be more, you know, to write cookbooks or to, to be, be on social media. And so, and not everyone who maybe wants to have a cookbook can, can do all that. And so yeah. there, yeah, there, there are fabulous people out there ghostwriters and who assist chefs totally and i think actually these days that you don't have to be a chef to do a cookbook any, any you know schools do cookbooks as fundraisers uh you know people who love food just do cookbooks uh you know i i but i, I cookbooks aren't an easy process and then i don't think they're ever going to be you know writing a book isn't straightforward uh, it's it's it can be an extremely enjoyable process. I'm not saying it's. I'm just saying that they're yeah. not they're not straightforward. Right. There's a huge amount of work that go into them, right? And a huge amount of um, you know everything from the design to the you know the text and the fonts and the size and the shape and the pr and the and the weight of the paper. I mean, it's, there is so much to consider. It's yeah. not, you know, that you can easily flip through a book and not consider all that. Just think that that sort of happens. So it's, uh, you know, it's not something I would take on lightly, ever. Yeah, so, so that's, I'm thinking, uh, will there be another book in your future or is it too early to say? No, uh, you would do uh, another one. I would. I, I need a rest from uh, okay. from this one. But I, no, I I definitely have another yeah. one. It's one of those things where you go uh, where um, anything that's painful in life you often forget, you know, and then you come back and you're like, oh, I want to do that again. Um, right. Well, but no. I, I, you, you look. I, I even though the journey was a was a difficult one with that book, I think you know. You, 
you can see it in the end result that it, you get an outstanding end result because you really put the effort in to uh, make sure it was well, you stuck to your values the whole way along and, and really didn't bend the rules at any point. Yeah, and that that just made me think. Also, you have you have this book now that's not it's it's here. It's to stay. It's like not going anywhere. It's like a permanent thing versus a restaurant or food that goes out and gets eaten and then is gone. Like this is a collection of all the recipes. It's like you know, it's 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 a good you know you can hold it forever. Now, this is an important book to me because it's it, it, it's it's a it's a record of you know uh, in some ways of of some of the greatest dishes of the last um, almost a hundred years. Right, there's there's dishes in there that have been around for a long time and stood the test of time and are just brilliant. And the recipes are yeah. you know from chefs who are uh, who are exceptional in their in their field and, and have excelled in the industry. Um, so that there's some recipes that have been handed down, some family recipes, you know, whether it's a, a duck cassoulet recipe that's in there from from Pascal in London, you know, French guy, and uh, <laughs> you know, there's things like that. that right. That's just gold. Those are the recipes that you hunt out, yeah. and often people don't give you. Right? Well, Those are the ones you want. You managed to get them. So, <laughs> um, well, great. One, uh, we're going to take one more break. Before we do, I have a couple announcements about upcoming events. So, first, New York City Wine and Food Festival is coming up on October 13th through 19th in New York City. And this is the 12th annual festival, it's sponsored by the Food Network and Cooking Channel and presented by Capital One. It's one of New York's most versatile culinary extravaganzas, and it returns to eat, drink, and end hunger, benefiting Food Bank for New York City and No Kid Hungry. And there's tickets still available. There's some new events like Elvis Duran's Taste of New York. Um, returning again is the Blue Moon Burger Bash presented by Pat LaFrida. And Pat has been on my show, and also I have to mention founder Lee Schrager was on my show back in episode 20, which seems like well, it was a long time ago, but this festival has been going strong. So if you want to get tickets, you can go to nycwff.org. The other thing coming up, Star Chefs ICC, and this is the 14th annual Star Chefs International Chefs Congress, and it's taking pr- place October 27th to 29th at the Brooklyn Expo Center in Brooklyn. The theme is New Foundations, Flavor Plus Technique Plus Business. And this, they have main stage demonstrations, hands-on workshops, business panels, competitions, and Congress Eats. It's an amazing lineup. And uh, there's a working pass, industry pass, and also vendor supplier passes. So there's lots of options of, of attending. And their website, starchefs.com. And I'm planning to go to both of these for, for, for part of the time because both, they both take place over a couple of days, and they're always great. So I hope to see you there. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We'll come back. We'll do my solo dining experience and have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Aleppo Suites. Here's the rundown. The location, 107 Ives Street, Providence, Rhode Island. The concept, authentic Syrian bakery and cafe. The chef and owner, Yosef Akhtarini. So why did I go? So I was en route to Newport Mansion's Wine and Food Festival, and Providence was sort of along the way from the airport. I did fly fly into Providence. So, um, and I had read about this place recently. It was on Bon Appetit's uh, Hot 50 restaurant list by Julia Kramer and had a nice write-up by Priya Krishna. And um, they talked about their house-made baklava, and I was sold, so I decided to go. So my experience. So straight from the airport in the morning, I Ubered over to this place. I got there right when they opened at 10 a.m. because I had an early morning flight. I I went in with my suitcase, rolled it all in, and uh, went to the counter, uh, decided what to get, and uh, then they deliver your food and drinks to your table. I also had my laptop with me, so I ended up doing some work while I, I had my meal. So what did I get? So they have... Uh, all different types of baklava, and there were eight that day, and they actually have a box of eight. So I tried them all, and I also had the, um, I had a Turkish coffee, and I was there for a bit, so then I had a pot of ginger cardamom mint tea, and that was served in a really pretty copper pot. And some of the selection of baklava I had, I had a classic with chopped walnuts, I had lady fingers with crushed pistachio, there was a chocolate and a vegan one. So my take, it was it was delicious. I mean, all the baklavas were, were really great. Probably probably my favorite was there was a chocolate pistachio one. Um, the coffee was really good, strong, but I have to say this tea was probably one of the best teas I've ever had. I was like, I drank the whole pot. So the ambiance, it's a very welcoming space. It has a kind of warm intimacy about it. And as I said, you order at a counter up front and then you, you can sit. Um, it's a squared dining room with um, banquette seats and it, it's cozy and the baklavas are on display up front too so you can you can pick and choose what you want. I'd say it's perfect for dessert lovers. Interesting tidbit, baklava is included in my guest Josh Emmett's book, The Recipe. I found it on page 326 and it's a recipe by Claudia Rodin who's a British cookbook writer so you can test that out. Personal fun fact, so after breakfast I went to Newport, and uh, I was there for Newport Mansion's Wine and Food Festival. My client, Opie Crooks of Rake's Progress, uh, was participating, and it was just a lovely weekend, beautiful weather, and all of their events take place at these mansions, and so it's quite stunning. So the cost of my meal at Aleppo Suites was $22, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. I'd like to actually try their lunch and have more than just the sweets, which, which also looked really good. Their website is aleposweets.com. So there you go. You make baklava a lot at home? <laughs> well, let me tell you about that baklava. And I met Claudia in London because uh, I hadn't met her before. And I met her in London when I was there a couple of months ago. And she's she was she came to an event that I hosted. She was amazing. The baklava, we had to clear out of the house. It was one of those really? things you just literally could not stop eating uh and so we donated around the corner where there was three young boys who could just destroy it and it not affect their livelihood like me who keep the just picking and picking and picking amazing recipe brilliant recipe amazing mm -hmm. yeah well 
Is it difficult to make? It's time consuming, but it's okay. not difficult. It's not difficult. It's just a yeah. layering process. So you you know layer yeah. upon layer upon yeah. layer, and and you know very sweet, but it's very satisfying. But oh my god, delicious! So <laughs> delicious. Those are those yeah, the things that I cr- cr- crave. Right. So that's what I say. Get it out of the house before you <laughs> eat the whole thing. Very good. Good to know. Okay, it's time for the final question. So my next guests are executive chef Michael Anthony and pastry chef Moreau Uskakovic of Gramercy Tavern, which is a contemporary seasonal American restaurant in New York City. It's part of Union Square Hospitality Group, and this year they've been celebrating their 25th anniversary. So Josh, what would you like to ask Michael and Moreau? Well, firstly, uh, 25 years, congratulations. Uh, big fan, and I've, I've loved the restaurant for so many years. Question is, uh, I guess, and, and pretty apt, uh, the fact that they're 25 years old. Uh, Gramercy Tavern has an, a, an identity of its own. How do you manage, I guess, change? And, uh, you know, is it, does it become status quo or does it become maintaining a certain standard? You know, when you've got staff at front of house and back of house that are coming in and they either come to work because it's Gramercy Tavern or they come with ideas. How do you manage those ideas whilst staying true to what Gramercy Tavern is? Because Gramercy Tavern possibly shouldn't change. I don't know. That's the question. That's a good question. You know, I I get asked a lot, what's your favorite restaurant? And I can't ever answer it. But if I had to start naming favorites in New York or places I would go back to again and again, Gramercy Tavern would be on my list. It's just... you can never go wrong from revisiting and the fact that it has been here for sustaining that for 25 years is so impressive totally yeah it says a lot about the business yeah it really does it really does i'm excited to have them on so that's the show brilliant thank you so much for having me thank you so much for flying in from auckland (laughs) coming out to bushwick uh, joining me and uh, just, you know, congratulations to you for your entire career, your new book. And I, you know, I, I, I love having having the connection with you and I have to try to figure out when I'm going to get back down under. Great. We'll look forward to seeing you in Auckland <laughs> sometime then. Yes, yes. I have a friend in Auckland. So thank you so much and congratulations. Pleasure. My guest today has been Josh Emmett. He is New Zealand chef and the co-founder of GoTo Collection, which includes Rata, Madame Wu, and Hawker, Hawker and Roll. His new book is The Recipe, which you can find, uh, I know it's on Amazon.com, and your website's gotocollection.co.nz, um, and social media at Josh Emmett. Yep. Am I missing anything? Nah, Instagram. Go for it. Good. Go for it. Follow him. And follow me. I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Jeet, and thanks again to Josh. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.
All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.